Welcome to the HTW Podcast. We're your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Sekoudis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, H2W is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, Zoe. Hi, Erica. Hi. We had a really interesting chat with Dr. Megan Jones-Bell, who is the chief science officer of everyone's favorite meditation app, Headspace. Woohoo! Headspace. Love it. Have been using it for quite some time. That's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have, although I do admit that I have to rotate around because sometimes I like, you know, the mindfulness approach. Sometimes I like the straight up mantra approach. Sometimes I like a little music. And I think, number one, she does it actually, she did a good job of kind of breaking down the difference between all of those styles. And also, by the way, like not judging or shaming and saying like, they're all good and helpful in their own ways. But the bottom line is like, everybody can benefit from having some sort of practice. So just find what works for you. Yeah. And that's part of her whole thing is, you know, we want to meet you where you are, which I think is right. very approachable. Super Makes zen. a ton of sense. She is just a wealth of knowledge she has. It's crazy what they're doing over there. I mean, they're really conducting some very impressive studies. Yeah, they're doing like proper double-blind trials. They're doing group studies in really um, sort of powerful, you know, environments, whether it's like studying the effects of the benefits of meditation on, you know, hospital workers who are working hours that are too long, which I know is like, you know, between hospital workers and police officers and people who are kind of in these, in these careers that, you know, it actually is a life or death situation. And if they are not in the right headspace, then, you know, things can take a different turn. So they're really conducting some very powerful research that I think is really helping them to kind of, you know, maintain their lead that they already have in terms of running this this, this category. So she's got some really interesting news and science behind uh, the benefits of meditation, some of which are, let's list a few, lower blood pressure. Uh, yes. Um, cortisol levels. Cortisol levels for sure. Big one. Better sleep. Better sleep. Overall, general improved mood and reduced irritability. Not that we know anything about that. No, I know nothing about that. Nothing. Um, The list is endless. Um, And she has tons of science to back it up, which I think is what everyone's kind of waiting for, for the front runner to come out and say, hey, uh, we are the first meditation company who's actually put our money where our mouth is not talking because we're meditating. Correct. Yes. Be quiet while we're putting our money there. (laughs) <laughs> um, and they and they do a great job. And she actually has her own story, which I think is pretty interesting. I mean, she suffered from a lot of these ailments, issues yeah. as well and in, as, as a young lass. Yeah. And she was really actually just inspired by her own journey and, and healing experience to help others. And, you know, specifically in the mental health area, which I think, again, we can't really over stress, overemphasize the importance of being able to have these conversations in just like a much more sort of natural, non-judgmental way. Yeah, she suffered from severe depression and anorexia in school. And she was able to come out the other side of it and decided to dedicate her life to 
helping others with that um, and Headspace. And she, she, she was a user before they found her and, and before she started working there. And Headspace is doing some really incredible things with their health initiatives. And um, it's, it's a really fascinating conversation. She talks about how you could turn date night into meditation night. Or in fact, no, that wasn't her. I think that, that was, was you. Me. I said that. I said, <laughs> hey, how can we save a few bucks? And not talk. How can we sit (laughs) quietly, S the F up, and still have a date? And how can I apply this meditation thing to my children? Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, there's really, there's there's an app for everybody in there. So She's got a a lot of good answers to, I think, some fairly good questions. Yeah, pretty decent questions. Yeah, all right. Pretty pretty well done. Um, So let's stop talking and start uh, just calming. Start listening. Just quiet your mind. Mm Should we just dive right yeah, in? Yeah, let's dive talk into about it. how Headspace is uh, just crushing it. it, crushing it. You guys are definitely leading the charge. I think, from my perspective, it's a really exciting time. It is. So, what is? Can we talk just first about like what is meditation? So, meditation is really a formal practice of training your mind in attention and awareness and being in the present moment. It's a practice that can help increase compassion um, for both yourself and others. It can improve how you manage stress and relate to a variety of different thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Whereas mindfulness is more of kind of meditation and action. It's a quality of how you approach everyday life. So at Headspace, we talk a lot about mindful living and even have content that helps people carry the skills that they're learning in meditation into things like eating and um, running and parenting, for example. So it's really kind of an application of what you're learning in terms of creating a a meditation practice, but you're able to apply it into your daily routine so that it's sort of always with you. Is that kind of how to sum it up? Yeah, exactly. It's really like a quality of being present in whatever you're doing in that moment. Headspace was really um, the first, if not one of the first, to make this more of a mainstream practice. It was the first meditation app and the most popular one still to date. And so I think what Headspace has done so beautifully and was part of the reason I was excited to join um, the company is it's really changed the culture around meditation. It's not, a, you know, in maybe 10 years ago was associated with like sitting on the floor, burning incense or more religious or spiritual practice. And now, um, while you can certainly, you know, use Headspace in that capacity, it's much more accessible to the everyday person. So we see people come to Headspace because they have a need that they need help addressing. So they are coming in with, I'm not sleeping well. I'm, you know, I'm impatient with my children and my spouse, and I'm not showing up as my best self in my life. Um, I'm stressed. I have anxiety, a, a variety of different, you know, problems that they need help managing. We also have people who are really interested in building a long-term meditation practice using Headspace as the tool. So I'd say Headspace didn't invent meditation or mindfulness. We just made it more accessible and helped people build a routine around it who weren't going to be sitting for an hour like you might have had access to it previously. Yeah, I mean, isn't meditation by definition 
maybe not exactly this definition, but isn't it at its root? I mean, isn't it just prayer and contemplation? It's a contemplative practice is usually how it's kind of categorized. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like so many people were introduced to meditation through yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think to what Megan is saying, like people who are not yogis or people who don't consider themselves spiritual or whatever sort of would shy away from a meditation practice because that seems like something I'm supposed to be chanting and burning incense and, and, uh, you know, yet how do I actually reconcile the fact that I'm like crabby and can't seem to catch my breath, you know, in any given moment of the day. So enter, you know, an app-based opportunity for doing it very digestibly. I mean, one of the things that I loved about it when I first started using it was like the animations and the fact that you could kind of customize and and sort of tailor your, um, your program so that, you know, maybe you're not somebody who has trouble being, you know, with like just waking up and on like the right side of the bed, yet you tend to get like super flustered and overwhelmed in the middle of the day or vice versa. So the fact that there's kind of that roadmap that you can choose and kind of customize your own experience. And I think the animations are super cool. I mean, I think that's like a great way of encouraging people like, oh, this is something. Well, what does the animation do for you? For me, I actually found it really helpful in giving me a visual context for what's happening. Like I think. But can you give me an example of one of the animations? Yeah. So um, one of the first, like the earliest things you learn in terms of like how to meditate and what's actually happening is imagine that um, in order to maintain your focus, imagine you're a car. And you're on the road and you're driving. So your peripheral vision, you're aware of the traffic on the side of you, but your focus is, you know, continues to stay forward. And that's how you move your car forward. And they give you like a cute little animation of a car on a, on a road, like in an intersection. And I felt like that visual imagery just really stayed with me when, you know, in the practice with my eyes closed, my mind starts to wander. And then I'm like, nope, keep the car going forward. And that type of thing. I Sorry, what, what were you saying? I, I think those are really powerful teaching tools, right? It's It gives you, I think that the visual representation, it helps you understand a concept around how to bring meditation into action in your life, right? It gives you that kind of anchor that you can always come back to in your mind. My favorite animation is one that we have around blue sky, and it's of this, this person walking up the hill, there's storm clouds gathering, they're kind of stuck in negative thoughts, and there's, you know, thunder. And then, you know, it it zooms into being in a plane and you're suddenly above the clouds in the blue sky. And it's helping you remember that, you know, no matter how much kind of chaos it may feel like in your life, you can always find the blue sky. It's always there above the clouds. And so I think things like that have been used to teach meditation and mindfulness in the tradition that Headspace is following. These are strategies and um, that have helped people relate to these concepts and remember them when they're in the middle of day-to-day life. So could we talk a little bit about the science and how exactly it is helping people and, and how you sort of measure that? Absolutely. So at Headspace, we have the largest portfolio of research of, of any um, meditation app that exists. Uh, we have about 65 studies that are either completed or underway currently in partnership with academic institutions around the world. And so we're really interested in both replicating research that's been done on meditation generally, which is largely around in-person, like eight-week training programs. And at Headspace, we think it's really important to have evidence about our specific product. And so things that fall into that category that we've done are 
like randomized controlled trials, which means you have one group that uses headspace, another group of research participants who use um, something else. It might be like logic games on their phone or uh, kind of cognitive training. So some other active control. It might be Andy reading his uh, his audio books. Um, Andy's your you, founder. A few of our studies. Yeah. Andy's our founder. So right. I was like, who's Andy? <laughs> Is he another animated character? He's our friend. <laughs> Exactly. He's your friend, and um, he's our overqualified voice actor. Um, <laughs> and he's, so Andy is a former Buddhist monk. He's um, one of the found, co-founders of Headspace. and With an amazing and relaxing accent. How do you retire add. from being a Buddhist monk? That's are an you excellent just, question. Are you just like, you know what, guys? One day, you're, you just decided you've had enough. You're like, I'm going to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what really. is that? Like, it's hard enough to break up with your shrink. Could you imagine what it's like to sort of like leave the... Well, you know, he talks about his motivation being to want to bring this practice to everyone. Yes. Yeah. And so I think Headspace's vision is to improve the health and happiness of the world. And I think that was really what motivated him to come back into mainstream society and try to make this a practice that is relatable and accessible for people. But, you know, getting, getting back to the science, the outcomes that we see in our studies around Headspace show that after just a short period of training, so this is anywhere from a month to two months of using our 10-minute sessions once a day, um, which, you know, is in reality more like three to four times a week for people, we see significant reductions in stress, anxiety, depressive symptoms. We see people actually act less aggressively toward others and act in a more compassionate way towards people as well. We have done some really interesting social psychology experiments that actually look at people's behavior toward strangers. And that's where we've seen those changes in aggression and compassion. Um, we also are starting to see some physical health benefits, and that's where the research on meditation generally really does suggest that meditation can change your brain, it can, ch- it can help lower blood pressure, and we're trying to pioneer research in a number of chronic disease areas with our new Headspace Health Initiative. Yeah, which I think is really interesting because I feel like even for the naysayers out there that are like, no, it's just for like, you know, chimes and incense and hippy dippy shit. Like, no, if there actually are now, you know, facts that you can share having to do with what you were just saying, decreased blood pressure and kind of maintaining, I mean, I have to imagine the cortisol levels have been tested before and after. And so tell us more about this, this health initiative because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so and actually we're we have a number of studies going on right now that collectively are some of the largest studies ever done on meditation. So we have with basically I think across three studies we have about 5000 research subjects and we have two neuroimaging studies where we are also looking at cortisol. So we're really trying to connect headspace to outcomes that are more objectively measured. I think a lot of the research in this has been people's subjective experience of change. And when we're already talking about something that feels somewhat intangible, which meditation can feel like, it's kind of, what is it? How do you know if it's working? That's where a lot of the research that you'll start to see come out of Headspace is connecting it to things in people's lives. Like if I'm working in a call center and I have a meditation practice, does my customer satisfaction score actually increase? Am I more empathetic and showing up as my best self for every customer? Am I more um, productive? Am I safer um, if I'm working on a factory line? Am I less likely to um, burn out and go on a sick leave from my job? In Headspace Health, we are building actually new products that will be 
considered, likely considered class two um, medical devices. It's a new program that FDA has started called Software as a Medical Device where they are clearing digital health applications, so pieces of software. In our case, that means apps that are designed to help manage medical conditions. And so what that means for Headspace is that we are working with patients and physicians and other thought leaders in our disease areas to customize content and products that will be specific for medical conditions and then prescribed by physicians to their patients to help manage. So these are likely going to be used alongside other therapies because we are targeting people with pretty serious medical conditions. But we're trying to do this in order to empower patients to have more choice around how they manage their health. And we already have preliminary evidence from a few of our studies with our consumer app um, showing that Headspace can improve quality of life for patients with cancer and patients with asthma. That's incredible. So what's a real-life application of what to do with this information? Say, for example, you realize that, you know, children who meditate two minutes a day in the morning have shown X, Y, and Z. Can you then bring that to schools and somehow make it mandatory? Yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to do is basically we have these different key initiatives across the company. We have you know, our consumer app that and business that everyone's pretty familiar with at this point. We also have a B2B business where we bring Headspace to workplaces. And then we have our healthcare business, which is um, kind of in two parts. One is bringing Headspace as it stands today to help you know, reduce physician burnout, to help carers, which are really kind of the unsung heroes of the whole healthcare system, and to, you know, bring it to patients to improve quality of life. And then we have Headspace Health, which is this separate regulated business. So we have a bunch of different areas already. One thing that a lot of people don't know about Headspace is our social impact initiatives, where we already make Headspace available for free to a number of school districts. And how we do that is by giving free subscriptions to teachers who then use Headspace in the classroom. Um, usually they're they're using it after lunch or after recess to help the kids kind of resettle and focus. So I'm right now in the process of touring schools for my three-year-old, if you can believe it. It's like insane process of New York <laughs> yeah. City schools. I probably have about five under my belt right now. And I would say that three, if not four out of those five schools are all incorporating meditation. Really? In some form or another, um, at some point during the day, one school in particular started every morning. It's the first thing the kids did when they came. And this is my pick, actually. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, if you can teach Boiler my job. alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if there's anything we can do to get them in that school. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing how it's sort of, it's it's really catching. And I'm so, like, I was just so excited to see that the teachers actually talk about it making a difference. I mean, they see it. They're kind of on the front lines. It's not placebo. Doesn't that also piss you off in that, like, we could have had this so easily? Like, this has been around for thousands of years. It's just that it hasn't been formatted in a way that made made it, uh, you know, available to us. But I can think of a million times in a, you know, crazy classroom as a kid where kids are just like spazzing out all over the place and rest time doesn't do anything. And, and to have that moment, that just collective, like quiet, that has nothing to do with like the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. Else right. But then it's like, also all these other variables too. So then you have to like factor in the diet and then what are these yes, kids eating? That's true, and that's, that's another reason that they're freaking out. So this school, by the way, started with meditation and also had like a huge 
amazing salad bar in their cafeteria. Done. Done and done. <laughs> like, you're my favorite. Yeah, really. um, <laughs> I'll go there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I think these are, I mean, but that's the, that's a part of this amazing cultural shift that is happening right now. Because, you know, in the past, you would have seen something like this as, as something you do if you're really struggling. And instead, the tables are turning to have it used in more of a resilience building way. And it's not a mental health thing. It's just, it's more of a public health and more mainstream practice. So I, I think that's, we really need that to happen because if you look at adolescents and young adults, like teenagers right now, like the rate of mental health problems is just extraordinary. And the number of inputs that we all are digesting through social media and just pieces of information that our brain is processing, it's incredibly overwhelming. I think that is specifically something that meditation can help you manage. And it's perfect that we teach kids how to do that out of the gate. Yeah. Right. Well, especially too, if, you know, speaking with teenagers and as an example, people who are sort of known for constantly being on their device, the fact that, you know, some support and a little bit of help is in the same, is, is in their hand in the same way that, you know, a lot of the sources of their issues and troubles are. And I think the point to drive home again is that you don't have to like take time out and go sit on a cushion and stare at Horizon. Obviously, that would be amazing, but you could also just like sit on, you know, the school bus or on the subway or wherever you are and take two minutes. And even those two minutes or like the five deep breaths that come in those two minutes are going to help in such in, in such a, in a hugely impactful way and in such a with such a small commitment. And um, also, I mean, these teenagers are known for being a bit impulsive. These kids these days, you know, so they could just pause. Well, you know, their their prefrontal cortex, decision making center, isn't fully developed. So till twenty five, right? Didn't it's not their fault. Discover twenty five years old. Um, so on that, so here's my question: What do you say to people? And there are a lot of them who uh, kind of respond to you know the idea of meditation with this sort of. I just could never sit still. I could never do it. My mind's too busy. I could, I'm always you thinking. You say that, Zoe. Everybody like, I can't it. do it. No, no, I do it. <laughs> well, you do, right? You keep going back to it. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not, but it's a struggle, you know? And I think that's the whole point, right? So it's not like, it's a practice. It's something that you do and it's not about perfecting it, but it's, a, it's a real struggle to sort of calm my mind down. But I think a lot of people are, when you talk to them about meditation, the response is often, I could never sit still for long enough. Oh, I just have to, I'm always so busy, busy, busy. Right. Almost like it's a badge of honor that they, they're that too busy. They're, they're too busy. Their mind is too active. There's too many big, important thoughts going on in there for them to possibly ever stop and meditate. You know, so it's just this weird, it's almost like the ego, like creeping yeah. in there in a very bizarre way. Like, did you have to convince any family members that this was actually something they should give a shot? Oh, I did. I mean, my husband in particular, and I started with the kids content in Headspace with him because it was before we had released our, we, now you can use any of our content in like three minute, five minute increments. But at the time, but he loved it. And as a, he's a professor and scientist and he started recommending it to everyone in his institute. And I'm like, this is kind of amazing because he's never used anything I've made before because right. it was too mental health focused. But did he start out in the camp that Zoe was just describing of like, I'm too busy, I'm too this, I'm too that, yeah. Exactly. And so that was really interesting. But my whole family, I mean, my down to my five-year-old nephew, to my seven-year-old dad, it, 
everybody is has a regular headspace routine at this point. And it's been really interesting to see kind of within the family how it's been adopted and why. And I, I think what you were talking about around this badge of honor is part of these cultural norms that we need to try to change, right? It's not healthy. I, I just had kind of a detox from that. I was living in Europe for the last five years, and my friend group there would bring up with great concern to my husband and I that we were we were working too much. And this wasn't a source of pride. This was They weren't impressed by this. They were worried um, by this. And that was such an interesting— Isn't that wonderful? Ex- yeah, I'm like— <laughs> Thank God. Like it felt so nurturing to have friends that actually cared like that. But it it was so interesting to be in a different society around like a workaholic being burned out and tired was was not the goal in life. And you could be successful. I mean, these were friends who were doctors, founders of companies, scientists. So they're not underachievers, right? And so I think that's the the misconception here is that somehow by being super busy, by having your mind be racing all the time, that it means that that, that you're successful. And that's just not true. That's in fact maybe undermining your, it's certainly undermining your quality of life and happiness, but it may also be undermining how, you know, successful you are at the same time because it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Well, it also might be like chipping away at your actual health and breaking you down little by little. Exactly. It's like the burnout that you hear about is so often now. So what do you think, what would be um, some of the more sort of surprising, maybe little known or or least expected health benefits of, of a consistent practice? One of the things that I love the most is how it translates into how you show up in the world. I love that we're finding that it reduces irritability, that it makes people more likely to help someone when they observe someone in pain or in need. So for me, it's I think people are often motivated by the spillover that our poor ability, like when I'm not managing my stress well, it impacts my child, my son, my husband, my team at work. And that's what actually motivates me to, to take another look at how I'm managing my stuff. That's the outcomes that I think are most interesting is like the relationship impact that it has. Because if you think about some of the challenges that we have in the world today, like a little less aggression and more compassion would make a huge difference. Ooh, goes a long way. But especially on the New York City uh, subways. Oh, my God. Maybe there should be a car. There should be an L train dedicated. A car for each train should just be a meditation car. Okay, you guys, we're giving you that idea right now. I feel like if anyone can get funding for it, it would be you guys. Can you make it happen? I I think that's a great idea. What is the difference between and is there a benefit to you know the different types of meditation? Maybe you could break them down because there are many now. It's sort of like vipassana, you know, transcendent, you know, Vedic and TM and all that. Yeah, and. Most importantly, do I need a mantra? Do you need a guru? Yeah. Well, well, I think if you're doing TM, that's part of it. What I can speak to is, you know, for Headspace, we are more classic mindfulness meditation. You don't need a mantra. We include a variety of different meditation techniques because what we find, at least, is that it's not one size fits all. And I think you were getting into this earlier. The it's important to expose yourself to a variety of different practices and find the ones that actually fit for you and build your routine around those practices because you may may find that like visualization, for example, which is one of the techniques that we include in a lot of our content. Love it. 
that that's, that that just happens to speak to you. It works well. And that's what you want to build your routine around. That's great. It's just about finding the thing that fits and also having realistic expectations. So you know, when you talk about your mind being full of thoughts, it's hard to slow it down. Of course, because that's what your mind does. It thinks. And so I think a lot of the feedback we get from people who are saying, I don't have time or it's so hard to sit still, is that what we want to do for them is give them the right front door into a practice, which might be using the content we made with Nike, which is audio-guided mindful runs. It might be using the content in our app around, like, let me make a you know, play the mindful eating content or the single and like make dinner and um, with a, a mindful approach. Would you suggest wrapping this practice perhaps around the most stressful part of the day? <laughs> so if like mornings are always crazy. Yeah, I'd say there's kind of two ways to do it. One is more like a vitamin and one is more like an, an Advil, right? So the <laughs> stressful time of day, how what content you use within Headspace may be different. So if someone is saying like, I have a meeting that I have every day and it's always supercharged, I would say like do one of our SOS singles before that meeting. So you're just showing up for that. You're kind of building your resilience in that moment going into it. Maybe you do something to wind down afterwards so you don't kind of keep dragging that with you through the rest of your day. But the vitamin way would be start your day with it. And that would be more like use some of our meditation packs that you're working your way through. But people have kind of the way that you use our content specifically depends on what you're looking to get out of it. That's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug or a gateway vitamin, Erica. Right. Well, and I, and I think, you know, if you notice that like right now, the way that I usually talk about it in terms of habit formation is build on your strengths. Don't try to do something completely from scratch because it's really hard to create an entirely new routine. So if you have a routine that's working for you around like going for a walk or a run, add on to it. Try a mindful run. Then maybe you try a short meditation before your run. But you're not just building something entirely from scratch. You're starting with something that you already have in place. There's no such thing as a mindful martini. I disagree. <laughs> I'm quite mindful. I take note of that each olive. That was a test. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you can, of course, like if you've done a wine tasting, that's a pretty mindful um, experience, right? You're really present and noticing the different sensations. If you listen to our mindful eating content, it's going to feel pretty similar, actually. Okay. This has a little bit more respectable. <laughs> yeah. So that's an easy front door. <laughs> um, so Megan, what is your daily practice? My practice, you know, it's changed because I had a child about a year and a half ago and my husband and I used to do Headspace every morning together before we left the house. It was after breakfast, but before we before we both left. So this would never ever happen in my house. <laughs> I, I just had like a little fantasy of your world because that's not my house. <laughs> Like me yeah, well, down it's not my side. house anymore either. So now I'm like, just, it's the only thing I can do to get out the house with like avocado on the back of my head. I have a year and uh, a half it, old almost as well. So I really am curious to what, yeah. what you're about to say. So, yeah, like mornings are not are like a time for contemplation unless I want to wake up at the crack of dawn. So, which I'm not interested in doing because my son wakes me up all the night. So I practice at work now, which is what we anyway provide, at, you know, space for our team to do. We have daily meditations at 10.05 and 3.05. And those are like sacred blocks on my calendar that I don't schedule over. 
if I can help it. And if I do, I'll make it up somewhere else in the day. But it's great because I notice that you know, when I come out of that, you know, and I'm usually practicing for 10 minutes um, when I'm at work. If I can sneak in something in the afternoon, I might do it for 20. But I'm so much more present and focused and clear about my priorities and how I want to interact with everyone at work after that practice. So it's a really nice part of my work routine. And I think it also, when the leaders within the company do it, it really helps give permission for everyone else to do the same. True. That is a good point. I know. I feel like every every company should have mandatory little breaks. Oh, here's a question. I just when, saw a light bulb well, go on over your head. I've been wondering about this for so long. It's amazing I haven't Googled it. You know when your child or even you, like little kids, like they zone out and they stare off into space. Literally, they're looking at something, but they're not really looking at anything. You do that too sometimes, right? Me? Yeah. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> You're like, sorry, <laughs> like, when does about? this question end? <laughs> <laughs> so... Sometimes I just noticed my my baby's my my child's like zoning off, staring into space. My baby starts like snapping, like Oscar, Oscar, wait, like snap out of it. He's just and I was like, no, no, no. let it He's, go. I was like, yeah, he that's meditation, I think, for even if it's like yeah. ten seconds. So is do you, you know that moment I'm talking about, right? I do. I mean, I think that's like if you think about creativity, if you don't let your mind kind of oscillate between these like active thinking states and these states where it's, you know, more still. I feel like I have my best ideas when I've given myself breaks. And research actually shows this, that when you, um, so I think, so so high-performance high athletes is a great example for this. So if you think about the training, the way that their life works, they're never always in performance mode. They're training, they're recovering, and they're performing. So if you think about your own mind, you need that oscillation between times when you're like actively engaged trying to do something and time when you let your mind wander or time when you act, you know, actively meditate. I think that that's when we have the mental space to really tap into our creativity specifically. Yeah, I think that's really so Oscar's clearly composing his first symphony and you need to let just like let him Oh I am let it go. Yeah. Let it go. It's oh, like he's, he's gonna get into these. He's schools. in imagination <laughs> land, right? Like I remember that as a kid, like staring out the window for hours driving somewhere and he's just being completely entertained in my own mind. It's a it's a wonderful thing about children's brains. Yeah. And I think now also as a culture, we're not allowing that to happen. No, I think even every minute is how we parent yeah. is just so hyper, just constantly pounding them with activities and play dates and everything else. There's zero downtime. Yeah. Well, also it's how we live, right? Like how exactly. how many people go home and have no TV on, no like just no stimulation, right? Are you going for a walk and just being with yourself on walk quietly. If you're not putting out content in 2018, you have to be receiving content. Right. It's either yeah. one or the other. There actually was, I mean, the cavemen used to come and like come home from work and sit and stare at the fire. And now we don't do that anymore. We need that fire time. I have a fireplace yeah. you can come over. <laughs> you're like not even supposed to really engage with somebody when they first walk in the door because like that sort of primal instinct of like, you just need to kind of like take your little time out. And now the fire has become your device. Well, I'm pretty really sure terrible. Eskimos don't acknowledge when people come or go. Should oh, we? really? Yeah. Maybe we should move they, to Eskimo town. Let's try it. <laughs> Megan, we're not even going to say goodbye to you. We're just going <laughs> to We're just gonna hang on. Um, so prayer. I don't consider myself to be a very religious person no. at all, actually. Nor myself. But I do have this, 
I'm kind of envious of people who go to church and who pray and who have that like time and that conversation with either themselves or their God or whoever. I mean, I know prayer is a form of meditation, but is that a group worth studying to see if that prayer is somehow having similar benefits to to meditation? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I think that this has been studied. I'm not sure in terms of comparing meditation to prayer specifically, but there is research I am familiar with on the kind of the the health and social benefits of being part of a like religious community. And I think the benefits are largely around the community. Like you don't feel alone. So if you think of the Surgeon General has talked about isolation being our country's number one public health crisis. And if you're feeling like you're part of something bigger, you're actually part of, you know, going physically somewhere where there are other people, you share similar ideas, um, you feel supported by them, you have a safety net socially, there's really something to that that's missing from the fabric of most of our lives. So how do you think about meditation with Headspace in terms of, you know, solo meditation in a room on an app versus going into a group setting? I think, you know, that's where we are really interested in exploring more ways to create a sense of community among our members. So you'll see more coming out in that category from Headspace in the future. Right now, it's mostly you get the sense of community through kind of being part of our member community on mostly on social media. But that will that will change going forward. We have some interesting partnerships with doing kind of in-person activations that have been really popular. Um, And that's actually how Headspace got started was with live events. Right, which is kind of the antithesis of of sitting and and getting sort of absorbed into your device, but having having that kind of community experience, I think. And like you were saying, you're going into offices and and hospitals and and creating those those community-oriented activities is, is kind of a great way to sort of take it out of the device and into the real world. Yeah, well, and like I was saying, like for my own practice, if I'm doing it at home, I put it on Sonos and we do it as a family. Oh, and so the, and we have, you know, we integrate into Google Home and Amazon Alexa. So you don't actually need your device. You just need your voice to access That's Headspace, cool. which I think is really the direction. I'm really interested in in that direction because it's helping reinforce one, you it can be a shared practice and, you know, you're not distracted. Um, You're not tempted to kind of go check your email or anything else. Right. I like this. Suddenly I'm seeing a very cost-effective date night in my future. (laughs) (laughs) Alexa, we don't even have to talk. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We cannot talk for hours. Um, this has been fascinating. Mega, I, I mean, I know we have to wrap up, but just really quickly, I, I know that you've had your own kind of personal journey that's been really fascinating. I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit about how you kind of got to where you are with Headspace and your whole kind of wellness and, and health experience in your life. For me, it started when I was an adolescent. You know, I, I, have a, I have a number of family members who have mental health issues and I myself got very ill my freshman year of college with um, anorexia and depression was treated for that very effectively and decided that I wanted to focus my career on preventing mental health problems. Um, I just decided to take all that energy I was using to maintain my illness and put it into preventing others from having to go through the same thing. And so that's really been the, the, that was an initial spark of motivation for me to become a psychologist. And I wanted to make things that were 
easily integrated into people's lives and met them where they are. So I've always used technology as a way to reach people. So the things I've made are not technology-led. It's basically like, what's the minimum necessary technology to get this into people's hands in a way that empowers them to you know, to live their healthiest and happiest lives. And so my personal mission um, and why I've like devoted my career to developing digital interventions and researching them just aligned really well with headspaces. And so you know, for me personally, I started, I learned meditation when I was in graduate school and as like a very driven person who's, an, you know, overachiever and perfectionist, that was the perfect storm for me. I got very stressed and overcommitted and it developed migraines. And so my neurologist said, I think you need to change something about your life. And I'm, I don't usually say this to you psychologist types because you've usually got that part covered. But um, but for me, it was a signal. And so I, I learned meditation. I started a practice then. Um, and as soon as Headspace came out with its first app, I started using it. And so I was a Headspace user for a number of years before I actually joined the company and have found it to be just so helpful, you know, in helping me be the best version of myself for the people I care about, which is really what it's about for me. That's great. And you get to actually apply it and, and help other people do the same. So that's awesome. Well, this has been really fascinating and we really appreciate your time and we will definitely encourage everybody to get out there if they haven't already tried to do a, a sit you can go to our website, headspace.com. You can go to Apple, the iTunes store, or Google and download the app and give it a try. There's a bunch of free content that you can access before you have to subscribe if you want to just uh, try it out. There you go. It's free. All right, Megan. Well, good luck with everything. We're super excited to see where this goes because we think you guys are crushing it yeah. and we're happy to have you as part of our conversation too. Well, thanks for including me. It was great to speak with you both. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking. <laughs>